Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Rebound, Nance ahead to Williamson. Final seconds, he'll go up and 360 windmill jam at home. 1.9 seconds to go, and this place is rocking, courtesy of Zion Williamson's unbelievable skill set. Yeah, what a skill set that was. John Bloom on the call on the Phoenix Suns radio network last night. Suns lose to the Pelicans 128-117. They'll have to go at it again on Sunday. Same building in the afternoon. That's now the third consecutive loss for the Suns, four out of their last five, following a six-game winning streak, no less. This feels like a budding rivalry. Oh, because no you go question. back and the Suns played the Pelicans in the first round of the playoffs. They eliminated the Pelicans, although it was a tough matchup, right? And they struggled with some we of the bigs. Slept on it so much, and I say slept on it in the sense of we did not anticipate this Pelicans team being as good as they were in that postseason round. Oh no, not at all. We thought, and oh, they didn't have a, Zion. This is going to be a breeze for the Suns, and it, it was. It was the exact opposite. At the time, they didn't have Zion for that series. This time around, in this game yesterday, they didn't have Brandon Ingram. So we still have yet to see a full-forced New Orleans Pelican team. So they're already a good team without one or the other piece. Mm -hmm. They've put together a really deep squad. I mean, last night, Jose Alvarado off the bench had 20 points and seemingly was just knocking down everything from deep. Uh, Larry Nance was really good. Uh, Marshall was good. Obviously, Williamson has 35 points and a plus 30, plus minus. This Pelicans team is dangerous. They proved it last night. And then Zion put some emphasis on it with a windmill dunk at the end of the game that's going to tick off a lot of the players on the Suns and also a lot of the fans. And then you got to play him again tomorrow. Well, so <laughs> it sets a nice stage for Sunday, right? At the same time... Am I more concerned about what's wrong with the Suns than, oh my goodness, the Pelicans are really, really good now? I'm kind of concerned with the Suns at the exact moment in time that we're in right now. And to compound this, because this is news that just came out, in case you missed it, Monty Williams, and courtesy of Dwayne Rankin from AZ Central, Monty Williams said Devin Booker, left hamstring tightness, day to day. So now you probably don't have Booker tomorrow. It was pretty obvious during the game that Booker was struggling to get up and down the court after that. And I mean, he, showed him in his, in the, he was pulled in the final minutes. Monty it, never does that. It showed in his in his shooting percentage as well yesterday. Booker was 5 of 17 uh, in total, 2 of 8 from deep. So just a really rough game from Booker. But to your point about the context of where the Suns are at right now, it all really started with the loss at home to the Houston Rockets, who are one of the worst teams in the NBA. A game and a team you shouldn't lose to. And you were up at two different points in that game, up by, I think, 12 or 13 points, and you end up blowing it in the fourth quarter and losing to that team at home. That's where it starts. Then you go and blow out the Spurs. It was you're a good, supposed to. It was a good get-right game at that point. But since then, you lose by 19 to the Mavericks. You lose, uh, which is another team that you had a playoff battle with. Obviously, they knocked you out in the semifinals. Yeah, so that's another playoff-type game. Then you play arguably the best team in the NBA in the Celtics, and they destroy you by 27. That game was done in five minutes. Then the Pelicans beat you by 11 last night with an emphatic slam at the end, and you have to go back into their building 24 hours from now. It felt like there was a lot of pent-up emotion from that, and that just kind of pushed it to that extreme. Well, there was the incident with 
Zion and Jock Landale, right? Where they're Too coming small. on a, fa- a fast break, and that's the whole thing now. Where like a player is too small, like to make fun of the other it's guy. Like, when oh, they score I dunked him. on you. You're too small. Which is hilarious because Jock Landale is much taller than Zion. Yeah, seven Zion foot versus got the best of him. Whatever. Um, but with that said, I mean Zion even said after the game, "That's not really me. That's not like me to do that." But you got to understand, these are the guys that knocked my teammates out of the playoffs last year. There is bad blood, according to Zion Williamson. Because I don't think he played any of the games against the Suns last year, unless I'm forgetting one. And he hadn't played any of the games against the Suns this year until last night. And he's going to be back again tomorrow. And I think it goes without question, Zion Williamson is their centerpiece. He's their Devin Booker, right? Their timeline just feels a little more accelerated because they actually figured out how to use their star player and put the proper pieces around him at the right time. And you know what's interesting? At different points in the last year and a half, I would have said different players are their best player. When they acquired C.J. McCollum, he went off in that second half of the season. Perfect. I would have argued he was one of the best scorers in the league at that point. He could have been labeled their best player. In the playoffs, Brandon Ingram was playing like he was Kevin Durant. Brandon Ingram might be their best all-around player at any given point. Yeah. And then Zion Williams, Williamson plays the way that he did yesterday. There's no, there's nobody in the league that's really well-equipped to stop him. It's a really He's good a top three. And we haven't even mentioned Jonas Valanciunas, who was a really nice yeah. trade for them from Memphis. We haven't even mentioned Herbert Jones. One of the better defensive play, players in the league. a candidate for defensive player of the year now. Like... This Pelicans team is very well built, and they have very strong pedigree. I can't speak. They have a very strong pedigree because it was Monty Williams' former assistant now coaching this team in Willie Green. They know a thing or two about the Suns. They know a thing or two about the Suns. And they have yet to play them at full strength. And now it's looking like they're a team that's built to last. Whereas the Suns, and this feels very strange to say, it feels like the window is shrinking. Now... Are we over-exaggerating one loss in the beginning of December? Maybe. But also it's compounded by two other miserable losses this week. Well, and three, uh, four out of your last five games, I think, are, yeah. are arguably really bad losses. I mean, you lose to the Celtics, fine. I get it. They're one of the better teams in the NBA. But to lose by 27? They got blown out in that game. I mean, they were down by like 40 at halftime. You lose to the Mavericks? Okay. They have Luka... Luca's one of the greatest players on the planet right now. But the they rest of that team it. isn't any good. But you get good. blown out. You get blown out by the Mavericks. You lose to the Pelicans? Okay. A one-off? I get it. They're a good team. They put up a good fight in that playoff series. You lose by 11, and you let Zion do that at the end of the game? You see what I mean? Like, they all just kind of compound on top of each other. It's not just one bad loss. I'm not freaking out. I don't think the Suns are done and over with, and they have no shot at a title this year. That's not the case. But help me lay it all out. Aside from the wins and losses, you've got uh, a hobbling Devin Booker. You've got a Chris Paul who just came back from injury. So I'm not... He played a lot better yesterday than he did in his first game. Yesterday was his best game since return. You still got no Cam Johnson. Uh, the Jay Crowder situation has not cleared up. And by that, I mean they haven't traded him for anybody else. And he's certainly not playing for the Suns anytime soon. There's a lot of question marks about this team right now. I haven't even mentioned that they're going through an ownership sale. And I can't imagine that's entirely impactful on the players, but 
what, you're just not thinking about that? Come I think on. that there are two separate things in my mind. I've never once thought that what was going on with Robert Sarver or ownership was impacting James Jones and what the team was able to accomplish on the court. Clearly, they've had good and bad times with Sarver at the helm. Uh, but you're right. The sale of a team is always an interesting period. I mean, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but they might be close to a sale. They might not. I, th- I at the same time find it ironic that last year we had a 64-win basketball team that after they lost in the playoffs, the immediate response was, all right, well, the regular season doesn't matter anymore. And because we are in a business where we have to be creatures of the moment, we're freaking out about a 16-10 and 10 basketball team that was in the finals two years ago and has the pedigree to go back there again this year. The other thing it's about, just a very interesting scenario. The other thing about this game, the Suns shot 50% from three-point land. 22 of 44. It's a lot of three-pointers. It's really good. They're, I was reading a stat from Vince Murata earlier. That they're one, the first team this season to hit that many three-pointers and lose. And they're one of very few teams to do it anytime recently. Here, I got it for you. Over the last five seasons, teams that hit 22 plus threes in a game, 117 and 11. And they're part of the 11. Yay! Not something to write home about. No. That's for sure. Coming up next, who's going to win the Heisman? Is there even a favorite? I'm not sure that there is, but we'll give you our take next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Sinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. You know, this is the first time in a long time that I feel like there's no heavy favorite for the Heisman. Really? I kind of feel that way. Now, I, I know we can talk about who we think is going to win it. And I think you and I might even agree on this. But at the same time, most years I feel like there's an obvious person, right? Like you go into it and it's like, if this guy doesn't win it, then something's wrong. So I didn't pay as much attention in 2020 when Devontae Smith won. But I always get thrown off when it's a non-QB that wins. Because it just feels like it's become a quarterback. Award. Doesn't happen like often. MVP. Smith, uh, Woodson. Deion, or not Deion Sanders. Uh, what is his name? Barry Sanders? No. Well, Barry Jackson? Yeah. No, I'm thinking of um, the analyst on ESPN, Michigan man. Uh, I think Desmond Howard. Desmond Howard, Desmond Howard yeah. Sorry. I should have asked, asked the Michigan Yeah, why didn't you man? ask Trevor? Yeah, was... you're welcome. <laughs> But to your point, there's four quarterback options this time around. Normally, there's like a defensive guy that's in the mix, but it's four quarterbacks. It's Caleb Williams out of USC. It's Max Dugan out of TCU. It's Stetson Bennett out of Georgia. And it's CJ Stroud out of Ohio State. I would agree with you if I were to just look at it and look at those four guys and like put their stats side by side, I'd say, wow, I don't, really don't know who the clear favorite is. When you watch Caleb Williams play, though, you're like, wow, that dude does things that literally none of those other three QBs can do. That's what it feels like to me. There's a couple of elements that go into winning a Heisman, right? There's the statistics and how you perform during the season. That's obvious. Mm -hmm. We can't possibly leave out the fact of how your season ends. I mean, I know that it's not supposed to include like postseason play or whatever, but... USC had a resurgence this year. That plays a role in Caleb Williams' candidacy for the Heisman. Uh, The fact that they were this close to being in the college football playoff plays a role. And if they had been in the playoff, I think it's even more solidified that he probably wins the Heisman. I agree. But if you break down just the straight-up like numbers, 
He's got 4,000 passing yards, 37 touchdowns, and four interceptions. On top of that, he's also got 372 yards rushing and 10 scores. That's pretty good. That's really good. That's 47 touchdowns. And you know we love a dual-threat quarterback nowadays. Oh, absolutely. Then you look at somebody like Stetson Bennett. He's only got 27 total touchdowns compared to 47 touchdowns. He's also got the best team in the in the league. He does. How much of that is his doing? How much of it is the team? Because the Heisman is not a team award. I just feel like no one ever gives Stetson Bennett the credit when he helps pilot a really good team. Granted, Georgia's defense year in and year out has always been a great team, or has always been a great unit, I should say. But like, you still need a competent quarterback to pilot an offense. C.J. Stroud, quarterback at Ohio State. They're in the college football playoff. 3,300 yards, roughly. 37 touchdown passes. That's the same as Caleb Williams, but he doesn't have any rushing. He doesn't do that. He's a pocket passer. Do you? Does that take away from what he does? Do you punish a dude for not having a secondary skill set or not showing a secondary skill they set? They don't ask him to do it. I don't think it's fair to punish him for it. But at the same time, the rushing is a cherry on top for Caleb Williams. It's 100%. not that you're punishing Stroud, it's that you're giving a bonus to Williams. The last candidate is Max Dugan, the quarterback from TCU, also in the playoff. Really great season. 3,300 yards, just like Stroud. About 700 yards shy of Williams, mind you. 30 touchdown passes, four turnovers, uh, four interceptions, I should say, and 400 yards on the ground with six touchdowns there. So 36 total touchdowns, four interceptions. His numbers just don't stack up. Caleb Williams... Feels like he should win the Heisman. He's not in the playoff. And he doesn't have that Heisman moment. You know the Heisman moment we talk about all the time? Like, it was like, oh, that's the play where they solidify that they're the best player that's in the That's the country. highlight that they're going to play back years from now to remind you this is what he did when he won the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. This is what he did to win the Heisman Trophy. It, well, I mean, what's your pick? Uh, I think Caleb Williams will win it. And again, I think it goes back to the dual threat ability that he has and scoring 10 touchdowns on the ground and bringing USC back from what it was a year ago. Lincoln Not Riley just a year plays ago. It. For like the past decade, oh. USC's kind of been in the gutter. For sure. And even though they didn't make the playoff and these other three players did, this is a personal, individual award. This is not a team award. So I think Caleb Williams was the most outstanding player in college football. Does that mean that I think he's the best college uh, quarterback prospect for the NFL in the future? I don't think so. I still think Alabama's Bryce Young plays a role there. He won the Heisman last year, by the way, and wasn't even a finalist. I still think C.J. Stroud is probably the best pocket passer in in the entire uh, college football. Max Dugan's been fantastic. Stetson Bennett's been fantastic. Caleb Williams has the numbers. He deserves to win the Heisman. Turn this into a quick NFL conversation if you consider the future of these four, you have to imagine that the way that the NFL has played out this year and a massive emphasis on guys who can actually see the middle of the field, you have to imagine that C.J. Stroud becomes then the favorite, right? He's the guy that's going to be looked upon heavily because you don't want a guy who can't see when they're in the pocket for as long as they have to because defenses are employing a lot more too high safety which means you have to play shorter field and you have to see different coverages and you have to figure out where your best receiver option is. When you're a shorter quarterback like a Bryce Young or a Caleb Williams, you have to create other opportunities for yourself outside of the pocket. And the way the defenses are employed nowadays, 
you don't have as much opportunity in the NFL as you do, say, in college. So it'll be a very interesting turnout to see what happens with them. Quick tangent there. I know. But I still think Caleb Williams has done things that these other three guys have not been able to replicate for their teams this year. It's just a numbers game. Well, of course. I think that's really it for me. Um, because well, like all Devontae three of the Smith other was doing things that no other receiver was doing the year he won, exactly. right? Exactly. Exactly. It's a numbers game. And the other three guys have better seasons in terms of their teams. They're all in the playoff, and he's not. He's just on the outside looking in. But I think he's the best player in college football. I'll note this, too. Uh, we've seen a lot of movement with the transfer portal over the a last lot. couple of weeks. I mean, they're seemingly good players now. Well, can I interrupt you, actually? Uh, go for it. Because there was one that happened recently that affects okay. us locally here. Eddie Shaplitsky, the former punter for ASU, he chose USC. With Caleb Williams. Interesting. And Lincoln, Lincoln Riley. Riley, yeah. So what I was going to point out is while you no longer have – it used to be the transfer portal was for guys who couldn't get on the field, right? Like you think you're a good player, you're a good prospect, but there's a guy in front of you on the depth chart and you just can't see the field, so I'm going to transfer and go play elsewhere. Mm-hmm. We've seen that a billion times. Now it's more than that because you no longer have restrictions on whether or not you can play the next year. It's open, unrestricted free agency in college football with actual and, money and because of and money and because of that, you're seeing good players like Arizona's wide receiver, who's their best player. In a normal situation before the, this year and last year, he would have stayed at Arizona and been fantastic and gone to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Great for Arizona. Now he has a great year with Arizona and says, I can turn that into USC. I can go to Notre Dame. I can go to Ohio State. I can go to Alabama or Georgia. He uses the lesser Power 5 school as a stepping stone mm-hmm. to potentially winning a championship, having better draft prospects, making more money. That's what the transfer portal is now. And if you're a player and you're thinking, well, do I want to transfer or not? Just look back at these guys who have either won the Heisman or have been up for it. Uh, Look at at, uh, the most recent one, Joe Burrow, 2019, transferred from Ohio State to LSU, won a championship, won the Heisman, drafted number one overall. How about the one who played here or is playing here, I should say? Kyler Murray. He didn't start at Oklahoma. Started at Texas Tech. And then uh, found Texas his, or A&M. A&M, sorry. And then found his way over to Oklahoma. The year before that, Baker Mayfield. Wasn't always at Oklahoma. Texas Tech. Baker Mayfield transferred. A lot of these guys, you're going to see the same thing. Caleb Williams. Oklahoma. Caleb Williams. Went to USC. It's the same thing. Transfers are becoming more and more common because they're seeing the success of it over the last five or six years. And it's not just the Heisman. It's teams that have championships. The big programs are getting their players from elsewhere. Ohio State got Justin Fields from Georgia. I mean, these are the biggest names. Jalen Hurts transferred from Alabama to Oklahoma. These are the big quarterbacks at the NFL level, Yeah, not just college football. The biggest names, up-and-coming quarterbacks in the NFL transferred. And people are taking notice and saying, I could do that, and it'll benefit me the same way. Coming up next, Cardinals, Patriots on Monday night football. And we've got a big injury update. We've got to learn more from our Cardinals insider, Tyler Drake. He joins us next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve back here with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. We're in the Auction Community Studios. Final half hour here on this show as we're getting ready for a 
Cardinals-less weekend, but they're going to start us the next week against the Patriots on Monday. So we got to get some Cardinals insight from our guy, Tyler Drake, from Arizona Sports, joining us here on the Arizona Sports line. Now, Ty, you just came from practice, and I just want to start with the injury updates that you were able to get from head coach Cliff Kingsbury today. So let's start right there. What do you know? Yeah, so no Rondell Moore this week, and uh doesn't look like Byron Murphy's going to go either. We got the probably, but I'm going to just take that as no. He wasn't at practice this week. He had actually one day, the one day where they didn't really have to report anything for practice, but uh that was the only day he was out there. So I'm uh saying both those guys are out, and they'll look at it next week. I think Byron's still working through that back issue, and I, I really don't think they have a, a clear date on when he's going to really come back, unless miraculously he figures it out and comes back Monday, but... I would say both those guys ruled out for sure. Okay, and then what about the offensive line? How's the state of the offensive line you're thinking? Yeah, so it sounds like Cody Ford and Lasita Smith will get some work on the left side with uh, Rashad Coward still dealing with his injury, his pec strain. And then uh, on the right side, it'll be Max Garcia getting the start. So that'll be something to watch. I think, you know, another thing to watch, I think he's going to be Lasitas on that left side. Uh, he's shown, uh, and Cliff even said, you know, uh, rookies will play when they earn their when they earn their reps, and I think that's where Lasitas is at. So, They've liked what they've seen, and then they want to see what, what else they can get out of them. How weird is it for you and for the guys to be out there at practice on a Saturday when you have a Monday night game? Yeah, yeah. I was just telling a couple guys, it's, I was glad I haven't written uh, Friday on anything because it, that's kind of <laughs> what it feels. And, yeah, just a weird week in general, just having that almost like practice day but not really practice day is kind of throwing my week off a little bit. But, yeah, it's a good, uh, nice day, nice Saturday. It's going to be a nice day for uh, some golf later, so always good. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that golf, too, by the way, just throwing it out there. My invite so, must have gotten lost in the So mail. I, I want to ask you, Ty, because this has been a very extended time off for this Cardinals team that – I, 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 you don't have to admit it, but I'll say that their playoff dreams are basically done at this point for this season. What have you gathered, basically, that they were able to take away from this time off, and what have they put together as they're preparing for this Monday night matchup? What are you reading? Yeah, you know, I think, I mean, let's be real. I, I, I don't see any path for them to make the playoffs. I know that there's, like, what, a 1% chance, and, and I just don't see it. I don't see with just the inconsistencies and everything that we've seen from this team this year. I just don't see it. Uh, I think now it's kind of trying to end things on a high note, positive note. What can we build off of? What can we do? Uh, I, I think the run game is one thing that they really want to, uh, you know, have that foundation with going into the off season, especially with all the changes that have gone on with Sean Cougar no longer there, Steve Hyden coming in and taking over run game coordinator duties, Brian Natkin taking on a bigger role with the O-line. So I would just say I think it's just kind of building on the things that they are seeing that is going well for them, and I think that's also getting the rookies involved more. The Lucita Smith, the Trey McBrides, which I think getting Trey McBride a decent game, something that, you know, a good chunk of yards, that would be really good for his uh, psyche and, and just uh, mental going forward. And, and then the MyJ Sanders, the Cam uh, Thomases, I think all those guys, if you can get them involved more, I think that'll that'll be something to at least build off of. You know, the wins might not be there these last five games. It's, it's a pretty tough slate for just what we've seen from this team. And I think now it's just trying to maximize the personnel as best you can and see what you can work with going into the offseason. We're talking to Tyler Drake. He's our Cardinals insider at ArizonaSports.com. And Ty, I, I always try to find the narrative, the biggest storyline going into a game between two teams. And I just can't really find anything with the players that interest me as much as the narrative of Cliff Kingsbury against his former ball coach, Bill Belichick. Is that being talked about at all? What has Kingsbury said about his former coach, Belichick? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot of the same stuff from 2020, to be honest. Uh, just a lot of you know, hey, I learned everything. Like football 101. I got a crash course on that from Bill Belichick. That's, I mean, that was what Cliff told us, uh, I think, yesterday. So it's or a couple days ago. I'm getting all confused with the days, but yeah, <laughs> uh, just he, uh, yeah. I mean, that's he's playing it simple. He's like, I've learned more football from Bill Belichick than I did anywhere else. You know, more than what I picked up from my father, more than what I've picked up, you know, going through the stages of his career. So you can really tell the respects there. You know, I thought it was really funny because, you know, obviously at this point in the season, they want to win every game, every game, every win's important, but he got asked, you know, Hey, how much more does this mean to you? And he's like, ah, oh, you know, it doesn't really. And then he kind of stopped himself. I don't want to say it doesn't mean more to me, but you can tell there's something extra there. I asked Kyler actually, like, could you tell Cliff was uh, adding me extra juice to him? And, and he didn't really specifically say oh yeah he does but you can tell like yeah yeah you know he's came to this week he's ready to win he wants to win so you can definitely tell that i think the big story is going to be how the cardinals uh battle with uh, ramondre stevenson that dude from everything that everybody said this week that's public enemy number one for this team at the same time this is also a patriots team that the cardinals who they faced in the past couple of years has not been those same Patriots teams of old, right? Like they are not getting the Tom Brady led Patriots that are just dominant every single year anymore. We're getting a new look Patriots, albeit with the same Bill Belichick as head coach. Does that really make a difference? Or do you think that it's still like, it's still Bill Belichick's team and like the Cardinals will have their work cut out for them? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the uh, Cliff said it best today. He says, you know, it's, it's hard to prepare for the unexpected when it comes to Bill Belichick and, and what he does with that team. So I don't think, I don't think it matters who's doing anything with the ball in their hands. I think it matters of who's getting them lined up, who's making the calls and, and that's Bill Belichick. And, and I think it's really going to come down to a coaching battle between, you know, the master and apprentice. I think in that way, the Patriots are kind of the San Antonio Spurs where yeah, that's a great, that's a great, nobody, great, great. Nobody's really afraid of them, right? Like, nobody's afraid of the Spurs right now. The Suns just trounced them a couple of days ago. But at the same time, you can never really, like, sit on your laurels against a guy like Popovich, one of the most respected basketball coaches in the game. Same with Belichick. They're at a similar point where Brady leaves and Belichick's still trying to figure it out. Tim Duncan leaves. uh, Tony Parker leaves. Manu Ginobili leaves. And the Spurs are trying to figure it out. So I don't know if that's a good analogy or not. No, I thought that was a great one. I think that's perfect because, yeah, as, as much as who it doesn't really matter about the roster turnover, you still got to contend with what is going to be the game plan, the scheme, whatever you want to say. Is I mean, he's still they're still going to have their guys ready to play at the end of the day. Let me ask you this, Ty. So if I let's rewind to week one for a second, go back to the beginning of the season. If I had told you that the Seahawks quarterback was going to be Geno Smith in week 14, that Brock Purdy was going to be the 49ers quarterback in week 14, and that John Wolford and Baker Mayfield would be splitting time at quarterback for the Rams, where would you think that the Cardinals would be in the division? I mean, you'd have, you'd have to say first, right? You'd have to. There's, there's no way around it. I think you'd have to look at it and say, hey, if this is the situation that the Cardinals, if, that the division was in, why wouldn't the Cardinals be in first? Obviously, you know, the, the Purdy thing is, is happening just, you know, really recent. But outside of that, I mean, Gino was the guy from the beginning. And I think we all thought, like, whoa, what are they doing? How, like, Gino Smith and Drew Locke, either one of those, that doesn't sound like it's going to pan out. And, and it has. I mean, it really has. And then you look at the Niners, who went to Jimmy G after Trey Lance went down. And that, I, I, in my opinion, saved their season from possibly not even making the playoffs to now – Purdy might be able to get them all the rest of the way and into there and maybe deep for possibly Jimmy to come back. And 
And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's rough. And yeah, you've got LA, which looked completely in shambles, but when you look at them, they've got, they've got a ring to go back on. So you can't really, can't really dog them too much for, for their philosophy and going into it this season. So yeah. But when you look at it, you got to think, why can't the Cardinals be higher up in the, in the standings at least with, with given the signal callers everywhere else? So as a result, do you personally just predict, and I didn't need you to go deep details or anything like that. Do you predict that there will be a significant change as a result of this season? And if so, where will it come from? Ooh, I would, I think, yes. I think there should be a chance if, if this is, especially if things don't go the way that they want of these next five games, if, if there really isn't a connection between the offense, defense, special teams, if they can't play complementary football, if there's just disconnect throughout. I, I mean, I think there has to be. I, at the end of the day, this is, this, is a, this is a league where it's based on results, and that's the most cliche thing to say, but that's really what it comes down to. And uh, Buda Baker said it, I think, last week, two weeks ago, where it's the, the not-for-long league. So, You've got to figure it out, or you're not going to be there. So I would say yes, and, and you know, I, you've got to look. You got to look at the top, right? <laughs> yeah, I would assume so. All right, I want to close with this because there's rumors percolating about you know big time player names as future, particularly Tom Brady. There was a rumor that was thrown out a couple of weeks ago that maybe he's thinking about returning to New England next year. There's of course all the theories that he could to go one more year in San Francisco because both of those seem to be really good fits. And I was listening to Bill Simmons talk about it, and Bill Simmons doesn't just throw stuff out there to throw stuff out there. He threw out the possibility of what if Cliff Kingsbury followed Brady to New England and became OC. Now, granted, oh one Lord. of two, one of two things would have to happen. He would either have to leave or he would have to be forced out. But like, is that too crazy to think about that Cliff would be done here in Arizona and then be Tom Brady's OC next year in New England? I, I don't think anything's too crazy for this league. I'll just say that. <laughs> and it, we would have to look back if this if that came to fruition. We'd have to look back at this week's Monday night game and say that was Cliff Kingsbury's audition for that job. Now I'm not saying it's likely to happen, but I mean. Bill Belichick, if he wants to hire a new offensive coordinator, he's going to have to look back and say, "Yes, I like what Cliff Kingsbury did in Arizona." I feel is like that the Bill case? Could I don't get know. Who he wants right, like Bill has that kind of power. Yeah, I don't know. Well, and I mean, and and that's the thing too is Cliff has said like that's. I mean, he 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 lives the Patriots way basically. If we want to get down to it, I mean, he models a lot of what he does after Bill Belichick. So if that if they he ever wanted to go down that route, I'm sure there could be something there. But I but again, I don't. It, we'll have to see how these next five games go. If Cliff can really turn things around, get this offense going how I think a lot of us think it can go, then I don't think really, that conversation even needs to be had. All right. We're uh, talking with Tyler Drake. Hey, Ty, thanks so much for uh, your time today. Thanks for heading out to a weird Saturday practice for us. By the way, tomorrow's Sunday. Just want to let you know. Yeah, yeah. I will uh, make sure that I don't do anything other than watch other football out there. Cardinals. I was going to say, no game tomorrow. <laughs> it's weird. Tomorrow's Sunday, no game. But uh, all right, man, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for the insight. Thanks, Ty. No problem, guys. All right, that's Tyler Drake. He's a Cardinals insider at ArizonaSports.com. Weird week because we have a Saturday practice and then the Monday night game. It's going to be nice having a Sunday off, though. Yeah, sure. Like, I mean, from work-related reasons. Yeah, totally. Still got fantasy football stuff to take care of. But. Well, plenty of stuff to talk about on Monday, and then obviously there will be a big uh, big Tuesday reaction yeah. on our here on our station. Hey, did you hear about what happened last night at Mullet Arena? I heard about it. I saw the video. I want to tell you and everybody else about it next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 
Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve present Footnotes on Arizona Sports Saturday. It is Footnotes. It's where we get to the stories that we didn't do on today's show that we still think deserve some recognition. And one of them is certainly uh, something I've had my eye on. The video has emerged of the fight that broke out at Mullet Arena. Oh, so there's multiple layers, right? I think. Not to the fight, but to this event that occurred yesterday. Wow. Okay, one layer being the video? Yeah, one layer being the fight and the video. But, like... If you don't follow the Coyotes, you probably don't know what's been happening. So they're they're playing at Tempe's uh, new ASU multi-purpose arena. Mullet. Because Glendale was like, nope, see ya, bye-bye. Right. And so they're trying to get a new arena in Tempe. Right. But it's going to take a couple of years. Right. So they're playing at this multi-purpose arena at ASU's campus. They haven't played there in a month and a half because of the circumstances that are required by the NHL for them to be able to house NHL teams for a period of time. They had to, like, make some alterations. Right. So they've been on a 14-game road trip. (laughs) This was their first home game in a month and a half. And they beat the best team in the league. Certainly worthy of a fight in the stands. Yeah. So go ahead. Tell me about about the fight. I'm watching the video, and it's all these fans going at it, right? And there's people flying from upper like upper rows on top of other people. A cop comes down and jumps on top of the whole pile, which didn't really seem helpful. I at love the, time. the cop that's just like standing, watching in the in the in the aisle, just like eh, I'm not getting involved with this. So I just got an email back from uh, the police PIO. Oh, during last night's Coyotes game, six individuals were involved in an altercation in the stands. Five of the individuals were cited and released for disorderly conduct, and one individual was arrested for aggravated assault. Wow. And you know what? Watching that fight on the video, everybody in that tiny arena was watching the fight, not the game, which was happening simultaneously. You understand how small this arena is for an NHL audience watching this one video. A lot of Boston fans there, by the way. No big surprise that that's why the fight broke out, because it's Boston. That shouldn't be a shocker to anybody. No. Uh, Another big story that happened this week, Brittany Griner of the Phoenix Mercury. On her way home this week, she's home now. She's home. Uh, She was in a Russian prison and then penal colony for nine months, I believe it was. From February to basically earlier this Monday. She was apprehended before the Russia-Ukraine conflict, like right right before. Uh, But that certainly didn't help her situation. She basically was swapped in a prisoner swap for a really, really bad dude named Victor Boot, uh, who is essentially the world's most wanted person before bin Laden. Right. And we traded that guy for Brittany Griner. So there's an argument to be made here. There's a lot of commentary on this. I think to simplify all of this, because everybody has their own opinion on this, I'm happy that Brittany Griner is back home. How could he not be? It's relieving to say the least. Like, thank goodness she's safe. There's more work to be done. And I'll just leave it at that. How about Charles Barkley on KTAR earlier this week on Ooh. this topic? Okay. Now, the question is, should we have let an arms dealer go? That's a very fair question. And first of all, that's not a fair swap. An arms dealer for basically some type of hash-all. But that's a deal that was made. Here's the thing. You can feel elated for the person being returned, for an American coming home where they belong. Yes. And still feel concerned that we let a bad guy go. Yeah. You can feel both of those things simultaneously. Uh, another really concerning story yesterday. Grant Wall, an American journalist and uh, soccer Very reporter. Very weird. Very weird. He died in Qatar. 
it's not really being explained very well as I to what saw happened. Heart attack, but also this was a relatively very healthy dude. Like, His brother put out a video saying, I don't believe that it just happened. Yeah. I believe he was killed. This is also the reporter who wore a rainbow shirt because his brother apparently is gay and he wore that shirt to the stadium and they told him he couldn't enter. It was like it was had the World Cup logo and it was the rainbow around it just you know you're showing your support and I, I saw something else that he was stopped told to change his shirt etc cetera, etc. Cetera. There's a lot of nastiness with the outer workings of this World Cup in Qatar and this is just another layer to it. The- At the very least the Americans need to get the body back and do their own investigation into what happened. Yeah. At the very least. I don't even think we should have acknowledged the Qatar World Cup. I don't think we should be there. I don't think we should, we should be playing there's in it. I don't of, think we should acknowledge it. There's a lot of nasty stuff with it. Just my opinion. Uh, I thought this was weird. Odell Beckham Jr. still doesn't have a team. He went on The Shop. You know that show that the uh, shop. Maverick Carter and LeBron James LeBron do? James. And he had this to say about potentially playing on a team. Quote, I'm not saying I couldn't step in and play in the regular season, but I don't see the point. I really don't. I'd rather play when the pressure's on. And I just have to wonder how an NFL team like the players would feel about being teammates with him, but only for the playoffs when he didn't do anything to deserve getting there. I think people would still want him. Somebody will sign him. Don't you think that's a big boost? Getting a uh, huge boost, you know, a pro bowl, all pro level wide receiver on your team, but just for the playoffs. What does that do to your team chemistry, though? If you've got a guy Uh, coming in that literally said, I don't want to play in the regular season. I just want to play in the playoffs. We made this argument with the Rams. Granted, he played in regular season games with the Rams last year, but he was a big part of their success and their Super Bowl victory. How about this? Sham Sharania on Twitter, uh, NBA reporter. Oh, I love this. He tweets out the players that are out tonight for the Nets. Are you ready for this? Okay, ready. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Nick Claxton, Seth Curry, Ben Simmons, TJ Warren, Royce O'Neal, and Joe Harris. I literally can't name another Nets player. Play your players, boo! So tonight it'll be the Indiana uh, Indiana Pacers versus whoever the B team is for the Nets. I don't know. They should sign us and suit us up. <laughs> for real, man. I'll fly play. us out to Indy. I love that. Uh, really quickly, just want to throw this out there because it affects the uh, football game on Monday. Patriots are listing wide receiver Jacoby Myers as out and running back Damian Harris as doubtful. So two key cogs of Patriots offense might not play on Monday. Something to keep your eyes on. Hey, thanks so much for checking out the show this Saturday. We really appreciate it. From our partner, Mitch Vareldis, for our producer, Trevor Henry, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.